Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the motherfucking show. The motherfucking show. The mother-fucking show. The only show that matters. The only one charging in, charging right into them fucking eardrums, like a charging it like a MasterCard, baby. MasterCard, Visa, Discover. We're here. We're maxed the fuck out. We're over the limit. <laughs> we ain't made a payment in Which three is- months. <laughs> well, we're getting a little personal. Here. We're having it. <laughs> we're getting a little personal here. It's true. I need us to true, really dial back. it back a little bit. Too real for Too you. Real. Too real for you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're here with you. It feels good to be back here with you. It really does. It really does. We've missed you guys quite a lot. We have. We've been thinking about you. Uh huh. Late at night. We've been you know, ruminating on you. You know, just laying in bed and. When you just have nothing but the soft glow of the spiced apple Yankee candle. Always. Always fucking spiced apple. Queen of the scents. <laughs> just glowing on your skin. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody that uh, is new to the podcast has now exited out All of right. Now that those app. fuckers are out of here, right, guys, we can that, get the real party started. Yeah, now that we've gotten the the other people out of the way, hey folks. It's called weeding through the chaff. How you doing? <laughs> How you been? Are How you asking me or the people? I don't know. I'm just putting it out to the universe. Asking the masses. Mm-hmm. I'm just putting it out there. And I'm receiving answers. I am great. I am on a, a seven-day paid vacation. God bless it. And I receive it. It is needed. I believe it is my first one after holiday. And I am just living my best life. I feel that. Mm -hmm. I'm not on a vacation. And yet. Here we are. (laughs) And yet I'm here. (laughs) No. Uh, No, I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I'm moving way far away from the mic, which is not what I should be doing in my life. No. This Um, is not episodes one through uh, 58, Caitlin. It's true. It's true. We got, a, we got a review that was like, I didn't know about it in the beginning, but I'm glad I hung in there. Now Listen, it's one of my favorite shows. And I was like, baby, you know what? I, we didn't know about it in the beginning either. I really didn't. There's the secret. You know what's so funny is that um, I am always like at this point, like I feel like we have, you know, fairly decent like audio quality sometimes. Maybe. <laughs> you know. It's a little dicey. Uh, somebody's listening right now and they're like we sound like fucking shit what the fuck um somebody from a more professional uh more heavily produced podcast we don't know her i'd say that but we don't know her that's not us uh it's not no and so i'm i i think sometimes i'm like damn some of these new people that like are coming into this shit and they start at like episode one Hmm. don't do it I listened to one of the episodes and it's like, oh, well, we're, we're, we're you know, trying to up, you know, uh, trying to do better with their sound quality. And it's like, <laughs> sounds like we're in a fucking Ted camp. Amazing. Go ahead and start at episode 15. Just give us that. You know what I mean? Just give it maybe 19. You, you know? know what, though? I say the people that started episode one and, and are still fucking here and are still fucking here are the true OGs. It'd be one thing you could call them. <laughs> It'd be one thing. Yes, it would be. No. Speaking of true OGs, though, you have a new true OG to admit to our fucking club. I I do. Club today. Haunted Heart. I do. <laughs> today. On this day, we have an invocation of uh, someone who has decided to join our Patreon. They decided in to give their life us. to darkness, honey. Yes, they have. 
and I would like to invoke the spirit. I might put some thundering sound effects in the back, you know, just really yeah. amp it up. Nice and classy. Yeah. Invoke the spirit of Jessica F., who is a member of our Stay Spooky squad. Squad? Get some good pop and crackle action in there for you. She's cracking. She's popping. Some good, good ASMR. She's doing it for you. Thank you so much, Jessica F. We appreciate your support of the show. Uh, We couldn't do it without you and all of the other beautiful, beautiful Patreon members. And if you would like to be a Patreon member, you can hop on over to patreon.com slash thehauntedheart. There you can just leave a little coin on the dresser for what we do. Leave as much or as little as you like. As much as you like. Seriously. <laughs> as, as, you know, you know, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to no, fucking deny I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Not kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> um, no, we really appreciate any and all support. Like Katie said, um, you know, it's amazing uh, to have this family that... Um, you know, some of them have been with us for since the very beginning, and mm-hmm. like we are so humbled by that. Um, and we appreciate and love every single one of you, ghouls and witches and monsters and goblins and all of that. We see you. We love you. We see you. We receive you. You are here with us on this night. So I wanted to kind of start us off um, with a bit of a review of ourselves. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a review of ourselves, but not written by ourselves. Oh, uh, oh. So we mentioned on the show, we've read a couple of reviews before. Uh, we don't really make a regular habit of it because we don't really make a regular habit of anything on this show. I don't know if you're new. <laughs> uh, we struggle with habits. Uh, good ones. Uh. Um <laughs> No, Um, but every now and then we get a really good review and we like to share it with you guys. We don't like to toot our own horn, but it's more about um, kind of like if we get a really, a really good review that we really enjoy, um, we want you guys to enjoy it too. So I love that you said every now and again, you know, every now and again. So I think you'll, I think you'll get more what I mean when you listen to this review. So uh, this review is from Desi Desi Bobesti. Oh, shit. Okay. All right. We got a Dr. Seuss on our hands. And she's from the USA, but we don't know where. Do we know that it's a Smart sh- that they're she? We don't. We don't. No, we don't. I, I will be honest, I assumed. <laughs> I see myself in this character. Uh, so the review is called, Oh, she? <laughs> O-H-H-H. Oh, S-H-I-I-I. I'm here for I. it. I. There's actually four eyes. All right. <clears throat> so five stars. All right. It's starting off strong. And the review reads, Hey, let me tell you something. S-U-M-N. This podcast rocks <laughs> like a freaking boulder, baby. <laughs> me and my twin sis always listen to this at school when the teachers are boring. <laughs> And then we have two sleeping emojis. We don't support that here at the Haunted Heart. Get your education. I might. I might. Get your education. Our official stance is to become educated. Uh, 
I was listening to Let's Not Meet and heard these two, these beautiful two's cameos, and the rest is history. Anyway, love these two, and def recommend this to anyone who loves horror and comedy. And then there's two cowboy hat emojis, (laughs) which is an underused emoji. It really is. But I respect it. It honestly is. I'm just trying to figure out are the cowboy emojis representative of, yeah, us? Are they us? Or is it, I think it, I took it as like a giddy up type of, of sentiment that she was like, giddy up. Like she's saddle excited. Up. Right. hundred percent. Saddle, saddle up for this ride, baby. Saddle up. It's bumpy. Sad- <laughs> I believe as the previous uh, <laughs> reviewer said as well. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no, it's I really true. appreciate this. Uh, I really appreciate that review. Um, I really, uh, you know, under- I understand sometimes teachers are boring. And sometimes, you know, who's to say that we're not also teaching people here? Um, maybe. <laughs> you know, I, it seems like a lot to commit. We on may. The air. I mean, we're teaching you something. We could even be... if it's just teaching you what not to be. You know, different choices that you could make in your life. Listen, you you pay attention to those teachers. You get your education. You go to school, or else you're going to end up podcasting. Podcasting. <laughs> No, we love podcasting. No, but seriously, uh, Desi Desi, we appreciate it. We love your love. We love your enthusiasm. It's the fucking bomb. Mm -hmm. And thank you. And anybody else who would like to rate us and leave a review, please do. It actually really helps with iTunes, um, like algorithms and stuff the more ratings that we get the more sort of itunes puts us out there to more listeners who are interested in horror and comedy and true crime and paranormal and all the stuff that we cover on this show Mm -hmm. so rate us review us uh refer us to your friends so they can rate us and review us and it is actually very much appreciated from us we love a review yeah and it doesn't cost you fucking anything no it's It's free free. it is free it just i mean it costs you like maybe five minutes depending on the review that's true but I mean, listen, we live in an age where we are nothing but we are a slave to the algorithms. It's and true. so we just need your help to stay afloat. In to this. please the algorithm gods above. Uh huh. It's yeah. true. It's true. Anywho, so this week we're doing a bit of a haunted heart uh, first, a, a bit of a history break for the show. So uh, we're, doing, we're doing a little bit different. Okay. So, first of all, something different. We did, you know, sometimes we do this on the show where we do a trade-off. Like, you know, some weeks I may give Katie a week off. Some weeks she gives me a week off. This is my week off, just in general, week off from work. This bitch is off work and she got a week (laughs) off from researching for the fucking podcast. I'm just off. This bitch over here. I am off today. It's true. Well, yes. Yes. Just (laughs) You're on, but you're off. Yes. (laughs) Always. Yeah. So uh, we traded off. Uh, last week, Kenny talked a lot about a listener email that we got that he kind of looked into uh-huh. and some Welsh ghosts, which was really awesome. Shout out to all the Welsh people who listen yes. to this podcast. I wanted to say we got Fucking some support. We got a amazing. lot of um, you know, positive feedback from that from yes. all of our um, Welsh people. We have a whole bunch that. of people who were like on that flow. I'm into it. So um, I can't understand what you're saying <gasps> when you speak Katie. Welsh. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. In the Facebook group, I think it was Dominique who posted that sentence who literally, it literally made me sense. Like, I thought Scottish people were bad because I watch videos of Scottish people that are like, oh, listen to the Scottish person. You can't understand what they're saying. And I always understand them. Well, I think because I have a native 
understanding. Well, Scottish people, you all, you 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 swallow all of those R's, and you're you're adept at swallowing. So it's true. Um, you know, it's in my genetics. <laughs> one might say, uh, no, but seriously, Welsh people, fucking, when you throw out those like sentences like in the Welsh language, I didn't realize that it was uh, completely fucking different from English. Yeah. So that was cool to learn. Um, but no, so last week, Kenny took us over to the beautiful Welsh land. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or as I like to call it, the land of the conquerors <laughs> of my people. Uh, and this week, I'm kind of revisiting a topic that we kind of talked about in a in a sort of tertiary way before on the show. So I'm revisiting a topic that Kenny covered... Yeah, I'm a little salty about it. <laughs> way back. This bitch feels like she knows more than me. Way back in our beginnings, in our roots. Speaking of horrible sound quality <laughs> True. episodes. True. Do you remember what episode number that was? Um, I don't. It was our Parasite episode, which I think was one of the pretty, uh, which was one of the earlier ones. Yeah, I think it was like episode eight or nine. You, I did Lizzie Borden and you did the episode on, it was the local story. So that was actually episode six. Uh, I covered the case of Edward Chen in Great Falls, Virginia, and Kenny covered Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. So now usually we don't revisit topics. Well, but I, if I do recall, you were super jealous because you had, didn't think to cover Lizzie Borden. So. Bitch, I did. I did. I just was obsessed with the Edward Chen case, and I still am. I've, I've always loved that fucking case. It, it is crazy. I'm just obsessed with it. But no, we actually, um, we don't really make a habit of revisiting topics. However, we were approached by Simon & Schuster, publishing out of New York. Oh. (laughs) Simon & Schuster. They're they're a publishing company. I was like, who are they? (laughs) Who is she? Who is she? I don't know her. Yes. So they actually approached us to talk about a new book on Lizzie Borden that I feel will probably become the definitive text on Lizzie Borden because... It, it just shows such a different side of that case. And we thought about it. We were like, well, you know, technically we already talked about with Lizzie Borden. Is this something that's going to be appropriate for us? Is this something that our listeners are going to want to hear? And ultimately we decided yes, because initially we kind of covered it from the paranormal angle. And we looked at kind of what are the circumstances that could have led to that, that you know, some of it could be paranormal. Some of it could be just, you know, Lizzie lying or whatever. Um, and we kind of approached it from that angle. But this this book by Kara Robertson, it's called The Trial of Lizzie Borden. And it really focuses on, obviously, more the trial angle of things. And it kind of attempts to tackle a lot of the commonly held stereotypes or images that we have in mind when we think about Lizzie Borden. Mm-hmm. So she kind of came into the subject matter with all of that kind of swirling around because it is kind of a cultural thing. There have been TV shows. There have been movies. Um, there have been stories. Uh, and everybody knows the nursery rhyme. And she kind of comes at it from the angle of cutting through all of that to get to the root of the matter mm-hmm. and kind of looking at all of the misconceptions about Lizzie Borden and how those first got started. So that's kind of the angle that we're taking today. Um, we're going to go through the trial. We're going to go through a couple things about Lizzie Borden um, that we're going to kind of dispel some of the mythology, I guess. 
So I'm going to be a spoil sport today. Some of the mythology that I laid down and when I covered it, you're just going <laughs> to systematically gonna destroy you. Hiss all over everything <laughs> that I have covered. I see your goal. I see the end game here. So buckle up because it is going to be fun. But first, we have to establish a mood because you know we love a mood. So yes, Lizzie Borden. She is an icon for some. She is uh, definitely throughout the years has been portrayed as goth girl goals for sure um, throughout media and different TV shows. Most recently, um, the American TV show, The Lizzie Borden Chronicles, um, that actually aired on Lifetime. Did you watch any of that? No, I did not. I don't watch Lifetime. <laughs> I watched some of it leading up to the show, and it is very much, um, it was very interesting to look into that in the context of Kara Robertson's book, because the Lizzie Borden Chronicles TV show actually does play into, and I have to admit that I didn't I didn't watch that much of it, so it, it may change, but it does play into a lot of the commonly held ideas that we have about Lizzie Borden that are sort of kind of a little bit off. Um, so even though we're going to take a trial angle on this, I think that we should start with the crime itself as a refresher. Um, and the book actually lays out a really good, um, overview of the crime. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read you a little bit of a story on Lizzie Borden's crime. So this is the, uh, day of the crime itself. So. On the morning of August 4th, 1892, Adelaide Churchill looked out her kitchen window and saw her next-door neighbor, Lizzie Borden, standing just inside the Borden screen door. The daughter of a former mayor, now reduced to taking in boarders, she kept a sharp eye trained on the neighborhood. Concerned, she opened her door and called out. What is the matter? Lizzie Borden replied, Oh, Miss Churchill, do come over. Someone has killed father. So the day itself, August 4th, was uh, Kara Robertson refers to as an inconvenient day for any crime. So for uh, the bulk of the police force was actually off at um, this annual picnic. So it was sort of a super inconvenient day for there to be a huge crime because all the police are off on this island for their annual picnic. Almost like someone knew that and planned it as such. Uh, (laughs) Suspicious. So Chief uh, Marshal Rufus Hilliard was left on duty. He was described as a large, handsome man with a commanding presence, which honestly, I'm here for it. Oh, okay. Um, he so was daddy. Yes, he was the man in charge uh, for the crisis. But he uh, received the call um, that day, and, and he didn't really necessarily think that he was dealing with anything special. Uh, the crime took place in the small town of Fall River, New Hampshire, uh, and that was a place where not a lot of crime took place. It was a sleepy town, it was an industry town, a couple factories, and it was pretty much peaceful, more or less. 
Um, so he wasn't really too worried about it. Um, until he got there and found that Andrew Borden, a very prominent businessman in Fall River, Falls River, had been hacked to pieces. Hacked to pieces. And that's a direct quote. Um, so while waiting for the police to arrive, Adelaide Churchill, the first person who Lizzie had, uh, Lizzie Borden herself, had alerted to the crime, asked her, where were you? And Lizzie replied that she had been in the barn looking for a piece of iron to make a sinker for a wait for a fishing line for an upcoming fishing trip that she was about to go on. Um, And she said she had come back to the house to investigate after hearing a strange noise. So basically what happened without getting into the nitty gritty of the crime itself, uh, we have Andrew Borden, who is this very prominent businessman, very Mm well-to-do, very wealthy, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, insists on not flaunting his wealth exactly falls river society was organized and it was really kind of cool how the how the town physically mirrored the sort of uh economic environment that existed there so there were basically like three levels there were there was the lowest level which was closest to sea level uh which was the people who worked in the factories basically these are the poor folk this this is the rabble yeah uh who worked in the factory for hourly wages, who were unfortunately very poorly mistreated by factory owners. Um, and they kind of lived on that on that main level. And then you had kind of the middle level, which were the merchants and the shop owners. And they were kind of like, I won't say middle class, because that's not quite accurate, but they were kind of like middle, middle tier and they were kind of up geographically. And then at the top, on top of the hill... Highest from sea level, you had the rich factory owners, you had the society ladies, you had the very well-to-do. And Lizzie Borden and her sister Emma had always had, they, they always sort of resented their father because they wanted to live up on the hill. Mm-hmm. with the rest of the people who they felt were their equals. Because mm-hmm. Andrew Borden, again, was very wealthy. He was arguably one of the wealthiest men in Falls River. But he insisted on living in the middle, actually closer to the poorer side of town. But he insisted on living with the, you know, merchants and store owners and people like that who are working day to day, not on top of the hill with the rest of wealthy society. Yeah. And that was kind of a personality trait for him. Uh, Everyone kind of described him as not necessarily humble, more so miserly. And very tight ass. Yeah, he was. He was very tight with his money. He was very thrifty. Um, He was, you know, tight. So he lived in the house that he had been gifted by his parents and didn't see a need to sell it and didn't see a need to upsize and... You know, I don't even think they that he put electricity in the house, if I remember correctly. He didn't. He hit. I don't believe that they had electricity. Um, I think le- most of the wealthy people of the time were they getting did. electricity they did. or did have it, but yeah. he chose not to. But it was also a matter of like where he lived. It wasn't necessarily it would have cost a whole lot more to put it in down there than it would have to just move to a house on the top of the hill where it was. Yeah. Um, so. That's kind of the situation that you have with him. Now, unfortunately, Lizzie's mother um, did pass away in her childhood, and Andrew Borden remarried. And he remarried uh, a an older woman, I will say, um, who kind of was, she was described as short and stout, which ah, I resent. <laughs> short and stout. 
stout. Being of the short and stout persuasion myself. Like a like a teapot. I don't necessarily think she was so stout. You know what? Teapots are cute though. They are. Teapots. Sometimes are, they're decorated. Everybody very loves nice, a spot of tea. You can have it in the morning. You can have it in the afternoon. You can have it in the evening. You can have it right before bed. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves a spot of tea, honey. Everyone loves the, the little tea. No shame in that. Um, but he had remarried, uh, and Lizzie originally was very accepting of her stepmother, Abby. She was very, um, sort of open to her role in the family, but as she got older, the tension between Lizzie and Abby kind of started to grow, and part of that, uh, Abby had a sick family member, and when that family member passed away, um, Andrew Borden, who at that point was married to Abby, loaned her some money so that she could purchase her family's home from this, you know, deceased relative because her family didn't really have a lot of money. And when Lizzie and her sister Emma learned about that, that sort of drove a wedge between the family. Um, and, you know, Lizzie and Emma wanting to move up it f- literally physically and um, symbolically in their social structure, they resented that their father gave Abby his new wife, money, but he didn't give them anything, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, So that kind of drove a wedge between the family as well. Um, And that became very important in the trial uh, because it showed motive on Lizzie's part and it showed kind of ill will. Um, Ill will, if you will. Exactly. (laughs) I I will. I will, in fact. Um, So basically we have this crazy crime where... Uh, Lizzie Borden is home the entire time. Abby supposedly goes out to see a friend of hers. She gets this mysterious letter and is drawn away from the home. Uh, Emma is not home. And uh, Andrew Borden comes home, sits down on the couch, and then is mysteriously bludgeoned to death on the couch in the home. Uh, Very violent. His head was like completely, you know, caved in Mm -hmm. um super 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 violent you can see pictures of it online it's actually kind of it's it's very weirdly disturbing because when you look at the crime scene it almost looks like he's laid down for a nap but also his head is completely deformed so it's it's very um well i think he did lay down for a nap that's the story he was either sitting or laying yeah. It's not conclusive as to what, but he was interacting with the couch, either sitting down or laying down. Interacting yeah. with the couch. He was inter- he was interfacing with the couch device. Uh but he he was on the couch, either sitting or laying, and he was kind of attacked. And the the way that the crime scene looked to police at the time, um, and this is held up in subsequent investigations, is that Andrew Borden never saw his attacker. Yes. Um he was taken out. And then Abby came home and was upstairs in her room and then she was attacked in her bedroom. But an important thing to note about the Lizzie Borden house is that it wasn't it wasn't your normal household. The tensions that had arisen between Lizzie and Emma and their stepmom Abby had resulted in every single member of the family putting locks on their doors. So Every single bedroom was locked. Lizzie's bedroom had a lock. Emma's bedroom had a lock. The parents' bedroom had a lock. And they kept all of the keys in this central location in the house. So it wasn't like everything was just an open door and you could just walk to room to room. It was very much on lockdown. And there was very much signs that the family didn't trust each other. So 
Made for a weird Thanksgiving dinner, I can tell you that much. It did, especially in a time when hallways, weirdly, I just learned that like in researching this story, like hallways were one of the last architectural devices to be kind of, um, I guess, adopted or understood. Back in the day, houses did not have hallways. Like you just walked from room to room to room. So like to get to, you know, let's say Abby's room, you had to walk through and this is not necessarily like factual but like just to give you an idea you had to walk through like Emma's room and then Lizzie's room and then like the spare bedroom and then Abby's room and they were all connected and there weren't any hallways um so it it was very much not a normal situation even going into it because you have these telltale signs like all the locks on the doors that something's not quite right in the household something's not quite um at rest, basically. Um, so Adelaide Churchill, the neighbor who Lizzie calls over, um, she's there right after the crime. Bridget Sullivan, who is kind of their, um, I guess you can think of her as like a nursemaid, as like a housekeeper. Yeah. Um, she's always kind of present, and she talks a lot about the tension in the household um, as we get into the trial. Um, she has a lot of... Uh, she does a lot of testifying on the uneasy, the sense of uneasiness in the household leading up to the um, the murders. But um, they're the only two people who were there. Eventually, the police show up. Uh, and Lizzie tells everybody the same thing. Uh, she was home. She was in the barn looking for a sinker. She never heard anything. She came into the house. She never heard anything. Must have been an intruder. Who knows what was, what was going on. So as... Improbable as it may seem, all of us are seasoned, you know, true crime readers and listeners. And to us, okay, it's obvious what's happened, right? You have this girl who is at odds with her stepmother and, you know, she doesn't really like her and there's bad blood there and there's locks on every door in the house. And she's saying that she was home. She didn't hear anything. These two gruesome murders happened. Obviously, she's the person who committed it, right? Obviously. But at the time, it was not as obvious to police. It was not, people did not immediately jump to indict Lizzie on these murders. Because in this era, America had derived its vision of the criminal classes from European models of criminology, especially those of this one criminologist, Cesare Lombroso. Lombroso. Which is just a fun name to say. Uh, but Cesare Lombroso was the leading proponent of the Italian school of criminology. And he challenged earlier assumptions by linking criminality with uh, a simple inability to resist temptation in favor of a model of difference. So he believed, basically that's a long way of saying that he believed that criminals were born, not made. Ah. He did not believe that, you know, you could be born into a lower sector of society and have more struggles and more challenges that would shape you into a criminal. He believed that you were born bad and that's just what you were. You were a bad apple, period. Sounds legit. Yes. So he characterized the criminal as a primitive throwback, an atavistic specimen born for evil deeds. He drew on contemporary anthropological studies of other races. And I was going to say, this sounds like racism to that's me. That's where it gets a little <laughs> sticky because, dear Cesare, uh, unfortunately, in believing that criminals were born not made, also believed that most criminals were brown. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we're t- tiptoeing into uh, just racist here. Which racism. is a little bit unfortunate. 
Uh, yeah. So he believed that in all cases, the crim- the born criminals' physical traits were seen as less evolved, more ape-like. So literally, he believed that criminals looked more like Neanderthals. They had oh, a larger wow. brow. They had a more square face. Um, and there are papers, there are all kinds of papers from literally the American Psychological Association, um, all kinds of uh, sources like that, that, that actually concur with this guy's evidence, this Lombroso. I do not concur. Yes, I do not either. Um, but basically, initially, because American criminology was based off of this type of bullshit, um, two-thirds of the people that were arrested in Fall River in 1892, which was the year of the murders, were foreign-born. Mm. Uh, so in keeping with prevailing attitudes about criminality, the Fall River police expected to find a depraved outsider with a foreign accent. So basically what this is all boiling down to is that they just didn't believe that a white woman could ever kill her father. They didn't. Um, they fully expected when they saw the brutality of the crimes. I mean, it's, it's a fucking axe murder. Like, TBH, it's pretty fucking hardcore. Yeah. It's pretty metal. It's brutal. Uh, it's not admirable, but it is metal as fuck. <laughs> but Our official stance, don't do that. Officially, we're against axe murdering. Um, on most days. So, <laughs> in most contexts. No, but the police very seriously were looking at this um, and the brutality of the crimes itself, and they were thinking, it's got to be a brown person. It's got to be an outsider. can't be one of us of Falls River. It's got to be somebody else, right? Yeah. Um, but as they began, you know, taking people, and they arrested a ton of people. They arrested... Um, I think it was somewhere, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I think they arrested somewhere in the neighborhood of like 70 people for this crime. And interrogated. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a lot more than you think. Um, and they interrogated them and they just could not find a brown person to fucking pin it on. What a goddamn shame, right? Am I right? I mean, it sounds pretty tragic. It's just terrible when you can't find a brown person to pin your fucking axe murders on. Don't isolate that. Um, (laughs) No, but really, I mean, nothing was fitting. Obviously, Lizzie was involved. Clearly, they did studies on the house, and they were like, there's no way that you could be in this house and not hear what was going on, right? Um, So eventually, Lizzie is arrested for the crimes, and she is put in jail. You think it's finally after, like, the 70 people, they're like, damn. Yeah. It's about time. All They're right, like, girl. you know what? I guess we have to arrest the little white girl. Um, so, so they do arrest. Well, she her. wasn't little. Yeah, true. She wasn't little. That's true. Um, that's another commonly held misconception. But they do arrest Lizzie. She is taken to jail, and she's prepped to go to trial. Her family lawyer, uh, very loyal, is by her side um, throughout the trial. And that kind of leads us into dispelling some of the commonly held misconceptions about Miss Lizzie Borden. As Kenny kicked us off, she wasn't necessarily very little. No, she was not. No. So one of the things that I think was the biggest, um, I don't want to say boner killer, 
<laughs> for me. But, but a boner killer. But it was kind of a boner killer. So Lizzie Borden is always, you know, we played the nursery rhyme for you guys at the top of the episode. And it's got that kind of, like, this case has always had that kind of, like, weird, like, mysticism to it. Right? Like, she, you know... It's pretty clear that she murdered her fucking family, but was she possessed by a demon to murder her family? Like, was there some supernatural reason that she didn't hear her family being murdered? Did she have some sort of, like, break with consciousness? It's always been, like, a very dark sort of case, which obviously, you guys know, we're kind of into. That's kind Uh of our fucking aesthetic. A little bit. You know, maybe. And so Lizzie Borden herself throughout the years in all of the TV shows and movies and books and things that have been written has always been prepared, sort of uh, put forward, presented as fucking goth realness goals. I mean, think about what was it? Was it a movie or a TV show with Christina Ricci where she was just like, that was her, right? I have no clue because I didn't watch anything with Christina Ritchie in it. I think it might have been a movie, but yeah. I don't know. There was, a, there was a movie. I don't know if it was a Netflix movie or if it was just a movie that very quickly <laughs> ended up on Netflix. <laughs> you know Straight what I mean? Straight to Netflix. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think it was a Netflix production, but she definitely played Lizzie Borden, and they, they played up the aspect of the production quality of goth, and she's always presented as sort of this, like almost like a Black Widow figure always in black, always dressed to the nines, always just like dripping in goth fantasy. Yeah. When in reality, that wasn't necessarily the case. So at trial, Lizzie Borden was known for dressing in this distinctive blue dressing gown. She wore a blue bonnet trimmed with a ribbon and a small flower, blue veil, plain blue serge gown, narrow skirt draped with a train, and a close-fitting bodice of this season's pattern. So far from being, ironically, Lizzie Borden would have taken great offense to being sort of a goth princess because she wanted to be seen as dressing in the most... Elite fashions of the day. The most fashion. Right. What is, what did you call her? What did you call those people? The, the women on the hilltops, the, um, elites? The, you said there was another word for it. Something, ah, shit, I forgot. Like the socialites? Yeah. Yeah. She, she wanted to fit in with them in many ways. And that was kind of a theme throughout Lizzie's life. She wanted to be perceived as one of the, you know, wealthy socialites of her day. So she wanted to be in the most current pattern. She wanted to be, you know, bright. <laughs> I wonder what it was. Yeah, I, I couldn't. What was the most current, the most current pattern of the season? You know, I tried to look for pictures and I couldn't find a picture of her in her blue dressing gown. It was just all like these women in like amazing, like goth AF black gowns. But like, I couldn't find a painting or anything of Lizzie in that, in whatever this season's pattern was. It was probably like fucking primroses or some bullshit. <laughs> Maybe a gingham. Yeah, probably something that we would fucking hate. Um, but that's not to say that Lizzie didn't necessarily fit some of our uh, sort of ideas of her. It's not to say she couldn't fucking show up and show out as a goth princess, if you will. Uh, one particular day of her crime, of her trial, I believe it was the... The first day, Lizzie herself uh, showed up in a black wool dress with a new black lace hat that was accented by two blue rosettes and a small blue feather. 
and black gloves that were to be her unvarying accessory throughout the trial. The dress trimmed with purple velvet at the cuffs and hem fitted her as perfectly as if she had been measured for it in Paris. Ooh. So not to say that she couldn't fucking do a goth look. She could turn it out, (laughs) ma'am. But she wasn't necessarily going for that Black Widow, Spectre sort of look all the time that she's sort of become synonymous with today. She's just trying to go for fashion. Yeah, she is. She just wants to be fashion. For sure. Which is honestly what all of us want to be. Am I wrong? You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) As I sit here halfway in my fucking like onesie, my fuzzy onesie. In your fuzzy onesie draped around your breast. Receive it. You know what? I'm feeling good, so that means I'm looking good. (laughs) You are correct. So another misconception about Lizzie is that she's old. And I know that you know this already. (laughs) But you can feign surprise. (laughs) She's old? Wait, what? She is old, so she's a lot older than most people realize. Uh, The nursery rhyme gives the impression that that Lizzie was a young girl who went berserk and lashed out at her parents, Um, that she was either younger than a teenager. I've had people who thought that she was like really young, like 10 or 11 or whatever, Um, but she wasn't even an angsty teenager, which is kind of what I thought before we covered the case for the first time. Yeah. Um, She was actually 33 years old. That's interesting. I thought I remember her being in her early 20s no she was 33 huh um so despite listen your 30s hit you hard man fucking and i'm I'm concerned i'm i I hit 30 this year i'm concerned i'm gonna be here for you (laughs) uh i would like to not be axe murdered by you listen don't piss me off just need you to understand (laughs) that if you axe murder me i can't be here for you so you just hold on to yes, that. Yes, you will. You'll be here for me in the afterlife. No, that's not how it's going to work. I'm not going to fucking hang out with you if you ask murder me. I'm going to be really mad. <laughs> so, Unless I chain your spirit here with a blood curse. You know that I'm not going to react positively to that. You know that. It's not going to be good for anybody. It's, I'm going to have to break the universe. It's just not going to be great. Okay. Um. But yes, yeah, so our Lizzie was not an angsty teenager. She was a 33-year-old woman. Um, who really, really struggled against societal constraints. And hey, I get it. You're 33. You're living with your parents. No shame <laughs> on it, baby. But I know it's tough. I couldn't live with my fucking... I couldn't live with either one of my parents much longer than 18. Mm-mm. God bless. No, you I didn't even out. make it to 18. Nah, I, well, I mean, I got out. Yeah, I got out at eight. No, I got out at 18. Yeah. Haven't been back since. Yeah. Well, can't, except for that one time. Can't do it. You know? And there's no shame in it. There's no shame in it. We just know it's fucking hard. Yeah. Because your parents can fucking irritate you like nobody else can. True. Very true. Especially we love my them. mom. We love them. But they know us too goddamn well. Yes. They are too powerful. Uh, yeah. No. So Lizzie was educated, but she couldn't have a job. She had a wealthy family, but her stingy father hated spending money and rarely let Lizzie and her sister entertain people, much less Lizzie and her, her sister didn't want to entertain people at the house because it was so shitty in their estimation. Um... Lizzie was also single, which limited her socializing options a lot because at that time, you know, you got married at like fucking 14. Not exactly. (laughs) Not not exactly at that time period, but you definitely would have been married by 33. Um, Or else you're qualified as a, or you're named as, as what, a spinster? 
for the most part. Yeah. 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 At that point, you were definitely, yeah. At that point, you were definitely labeled a Spencer. And not to be cruel to Lizzie as another plain looking woman myself, but Lizzie Borden was not necessarily, she wasn't slight. She wasn't small. She was very, um, she was described as uh, a reporter for her case whose name was Julian Ralph. He was a reporter for the New York Sun. He described her as, quote, a very plain-looking old maid. She may be likened to a school marm, plain, practical, and with a face that shows the deep lines of either care or habitual low spirits. (laughs) Which, fuck you, Julian Ralph. I was going to say, what happened to him after that fucking came out in the paper? Like, (laughs) What an asshole. Did we check on him? (laughs) Was he okay? Yeah. After that. He he made it out just fine. Okay. Actually, I think he got really rich off of the trial, so. What was that term? Habitual? Habitual low spirits, which I think just means depression. Like. <laughs> it's called. Fuck you if you have that. Like, I mean. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. It's called depression. Right. <laughs> um, But yeah, basically, you know, we have somebody who, despite the fact that she is from a relatively upper middle class family is very isolated both within her family because of the kind of uh, discord that we already talked about that was going on between Andrew and Abby um, and Lizzie and her sister. And also because, you know, as far as society goes, she's kind of an outcast. Mm -hmm. Um, She was very close to her uncle and it actually was rumored uh, that she may have been having some sort of illicit affair with her uncle who was much younger than her father. Uh, His bedroom was actually right next to Lizzie's bedroom. But that was probably just gossip. Gossip. I Sounds mean, like gossip. I mean, I stand the fuck out of it because they have pictures. Kara Robertson has pictures of Lizzie's uncle in her book. And I have to say, like, I'm not I'm not upset with the way that he looks. I might have an illicit listen, affair with some listen. such individual. On this show, we do not condone illicit affairs with one's uncle. It's true. We do not. <laughs> Our official stance is uh, no affairs with your uncle, officially. Uh no um by blood i mean marriage by marriage uncle hey actually (laughs) speaking of pictures of hotties in this book the trial lawyer who was lizzie's prosecutor actually looked a lot like you weirdly oh shit to the point that as i was flipping through it like i fucking saw him and i was like is that kenny (laughs) i'll have to find a picture of him later and show it to you because it was it was fucking incredible maybe we'll post it on instagram and you guys can vote as to whether you think it looks like kenny but, I mean, I, he was, I, he was the hottie. He was dedicated. Okay. Uh, he fucking lost. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Acquittal. <laughs> if you haven't listened to episode six. Um, so another commonly held misconception about Lizzie Borden is that it wasn't 40 wax. Uh, contrary to the rhyme, Andrew Borden was fatally struck only 10 times, which is certainly less than the 41 blows in the verse. Still deadly, though. True. Does the fucking trick. I mean, still. And then Andrew's wife, Lizzie's stepmom, Abby, received 19 blows. And that was enough to shatter her skull. I mean, 19 blows will do it. It's I true. feel like. It's true. So if we add them together, it's only 29. But 29, I guess, doesn't rhyme with... What is it supposed to rhyme with? Gave her, gave her mother 40 wax. 40 and uh, 41? Nope. <laughs> I don't know. So it's 40 wax. 40 wax, yes. But in reality, it was only 29. So you know what? She got 11 bonus wax just on fucking, like, <laughs> reputation. If only some of us could get 11 bonus wax. 
(laughs) So another thing that a lot of people don't know about the trial is that on May 30th of 1893, which is right around the time that Lizzie's trial was taking place, there was another axe murder in Falls River that caused the death of 22-year-old Bertha Manchester. Poor Bertha. And that kind of caused a lot at the time, that caused a lot of um, concern that somehow, you know, basically Lizzie had spun this story that somebody came into the house and murdered everybody and she didn't hear anything. And everybody was like, at first they believed it and they were looking for a brown person and then they, you know, slowly came to realize that there was no way that they could pin this on an innocent person who just happened to not be born there. Uh, And they sort of charged Lizzie and they were running with that. But then all of a sudden, right before the trial, there's this other axe murder and people are like, shit. like What the fuck? Right. Like, did we actually get the wrong person? Is there actually a serial killer, a serial axe murderer who's just kind of running through this town who, because I mean, how often is it that there's two fucking axe murders in the same relative short period of time it'd be awkward you know it would be <laughs> if you have the two axe murderers and you and and you have one guy who's going or or girl whoever going for the bordens and then you have someone else who's there and he's like well this is awkward yeah exactly so people were very um concerned but it actually honestly did turn out to just be a weird coincidence um she, the axe murder that involved Bertha Manchester had nothing to do with Lizzie's case whatsoever. It was truly just a random act. Interesting. Which is very weird. Um, uh, suspicion of my own, it could have been like a copycat sort of situation where some sick fuck took inspiration from the Lizzie Borden case and decided to act it out themselves on poor Bertha Manchester, but that's just pure speculation from me. Well, I could see 100 that. 100 years too late. I... <laughs> 130, actually. I, I could see that because, I mean, at that time, the case Did was being... Did I say being, 100? Huh? Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Math. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I could see that um, I could see that being the case because um, at that point, the case was being uh, sensationalized at that point, right? Yes. So it, I, I, you know, put two and two together. Yes. Yeah. It definitely... That's my... Someone was like, I want to be Lizzie Borden too. Right, right. Because you have that shit all throughout history. I Lizzie just feel Borden like it was probably. Elf. I want to be an ex-murderer too. Exactly. Basically me of that time period. I'm going to give her 21 wax. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but Lizzie gave 29. Oh. 31 <laughs> wax. I'm going to give her 30 wax. <laughs> yeah, but whenever. Like most men, I'm pretty sure he only gave her three. Two. Two pump chump. Two pump. Yeah. Yes. So, two whack hack. Two whack <laughs> hack. Oh my God. Coin it. <laughs> Coin it. So, um, something that you brought up actually is a huge um, element, basically, of the trial and of the case that we haven't really talked about yet. Um, you talked about how it was sensationalized. And. Yes, because it was a sensation. Yes. So. It was a huge, when Lizzie was arrested, the first day of her trial was absolutely massive. Falls River is a teeny tiny town. It still is as of this day. Um, but people flocked to this town to see the trial of Lizzie Borden. They um, 
set up the news reporters. The New York Sun was there. Um, the Boston Globe, I think, was there. Um, you had reporters who were famous for traveling all over the world and covering stories like Julian Ralph. He was a famous guy from that time. Um, and they all came in and they actually set them up in this old like um, barn building in Falls River. It was not uh, ventilated very well. It was super hot. It was super miserable. And they ran a bunch of cables because the news, uh, people had to be able to get their like news out back to their agencies or whatever. And, um, among them were actually two prominent female reporters. And among the crowds that gathered for Lizzie Borden's trial were a ton of women. And every single news source reports on the fact, uh, like that there were so many women there compared to men. So women have always loved true crime. <laughs> and it's true today. It's always been true. We've always been into it. Um, this was termed the trial of the century. And hundreds gathered around the scene of the crime in the days following the murders um, and also the first days of the trial. Female spectators swarmed the courthouse and took all of the most eligible seats and settled themselves with little black bags containing lunch. So it was a lunch date. <laughs> it was a luncheon. Yes. Uh, that was that quote was about the little black bags was actually from a Fall River Daily Globe article entitled uh, Where to Look for Your Wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where to look for your wife. Yes. At the courthouse. Uh, addressed to the average New Bedford man, the piece advised calm if husbands discovered an empty home. Quote, there has been no elopement. The dear creature is probably in the crowd of morbid females who are storming the door of our country courthouse <laughs> trying to get admission to the Borden trial. <laughs> morbid. Morbid females. So that's practically predicting the rise of true crime podcasts like ours. Women uh -huh. have always been fucking creepy bitches. I mean, hey, I would be in agreement with that. Just saying. We literally have always been. Um, the other thing, uh, and one of the last things, just to bring it back to Lizzie herself, um, <clears throat> she's often seen as a, as a sympathetic creature. She wanted to be a high society lady. Her dad didn't want her to be. Her dad was too stingy. Her dad was too this. Her dad was too that. He was too controlling, blah, blah, blah. Lizzie actually did have opportunities to get out into the world and to explore the globe. Um, prior to the murders, she actually had spent, uh, I think it was two years prior to the murders, she had spent a year abroad in Europe actually studying and kind of learning about, you know. Axe murdering. No. <laughs> no. Wow. Um, European custom and travels and all that sort of thing. So when she came back to Fall River, um, she sort of always, my interpretation is that she sort of always yearned for that sense of freedom again. And she thought that she could get it by, you know, doing away with one of the obstacles in her life, which of course was her father and her father's wife. Um, and so... She wasn't necessarily as small town Tammy as we think of her. Small town Tammy. Small town Tammy. Um, she really did kind of have at least somewhat of a concept of the outside world, and she knew that she wanted to be part of it, but like at the same time lacked the social skills and capabilities to really successfully do that. Because if she had fucking wanted to, I mean, we talked about it. She's 33. If she had wanted to get out there, she could have. Oh, totally. But she just didn't. She could have went out there and, and, and flaunted her plain self. 
I mean, and, there's always a man that'll take a plain woman. And I mean, damn. I said as a plain woman. <laughs> you no, can find you one. Definitely. Definitely. She could have. I mean, I get her frustrations. Yeah. I understand. I'd be mad too if I had a rich as fuck dad and he was fucking stingy as fuck. I mean, go make your own fucking money though. Like, go make your own goddamn money. Don't take somebody else's money. Fuck that. I'm not about that nah, life. See, I would have just played that long con and waited for him to die naturally. <laughs> naturally <laughs> of rat poisoning every day no i would have just play it play it nice you'll get that money eventually girl <laughs> yes yeah so not to spoil the ending for you guys but we did already if i can cover this so you know uh lizzie <laughs> not to spoil the ending of lizzie borden's trial wow spoiler alert <laughs> there, there there will be someone so spoiler alert we're just gonna cover you now um, no um over a century spoiler alert uh you should have watched the movie by now the trial does end in an acquittal for lizzie borden um she is yeah after she fucking fainted true she saw her yes. fucking parents skulls true yeah they cover that uh kara robertson actually covers that in the book but we're not going to get too deep into all that because we want you guys to check out the book and that is why we, in partnership with Simon and Schuster, are good friends. Our good friends. Our good friends, both Simon Our and Schuster. Friends, we are friends with both Simon and Schuster. And Schuster. Hello, Schuster. Hello, Simon. <laughs> um, they're actually here with us. No. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Simon and Schuster. <laughs> crickets um but we're not going to get into those details because the kara robertson actually does a phenomenal job of laying the trial out in a way that is not fucking boring i'll be honest with you when we first got the email about this i was like look we already covered lizzie borden this is a book about a fucking trial trials are boring as shit like i really hate watching sometimes we have to do it for the show but i really hate watching fucking trial footage it is so fucking boring but she gives the narrative in a way that is really interesting it's really compelling um and it's almost as i find i found it almost as interesting as the crime itself because it really digs into the psyche of her like lawyer her family lawyer who defended her her own psyche her sister who is present this whole time and kind of is like talking with lizzie privately and lizzie's telling her god knows what um, and Emma's just kind of having to deal with that. Um, as the trial goes on, it goes into the psyche of the um, the attorney who I just fucking got forgot the name of it. The attorney who's like against you, not the defense attorney, but the, the prosecutor. Thank you. The prosecuting attorney who looks like Kenny. Um, <laughs> but it kind of digs into his psyche. He was, you know, determined that he was going to have this case make him the fucking district attorney. Like he was going to do the shit. And this case was going to be the case that catapulted him to immense success as a lawyer. To high society. Yes. And then it also kind of studies the people of Fall River who are fascinated and horrified at the same time by this crime and the reporters who kind of came in and how the whole thing became a spectacle and how that helped or hurt, depending on your perspective, the trial itself. Um, and the, the way that we get to the ending is really the compelling part, not necessarily the ending. So even though, even if you know the Lizzie Borden case and you think you know it frontwards and back, um, like we did since we had already covered it for the show, there are new things that you can learn from Kara Robertson's kind of reinvestigation and she kind of reframes a lot 
that we kind of traditionally have just assumed about this case. And in a lot of in a lot of um, instances, we are totally wrong. Mm-hmm. And she is a very smart person. Also, she uses the word mansplain. Yeah. <laughs> in this book, and, like I was reading along, and then I was like, blah 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 mansplain, and I was like, <laughs> all right, I'm here for it. I'm I'm here in 2019 and that's when Katie for this. Knew it was the book for her. I was like, you know what? Okay, Kara Robertson, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, technically, it is in uh, the Oxford Dictionary, I think. Okay. Or Webster, it's in Webster. All right. I think Webster's more current. I think Oxford's a little stuffy. A little stuffy. Stuffy. In the Oxford Dictionary. Yeah. So we definitely recommend that you guys check out the book, and to help you check out the book, we are actually giving away five copies. Five whole copies. Five whole copies. We're not going to give you half copies. We're not going to like mail out <laughs> half the book to you and make you go find a friend to get the other half. We're not going to make you do that. We're going to give you a whole copy um, with the fucking dust jacket. How about that? Ooh. Um, yeah, we're going to um, do it on our social media. So make sure you are following us on Instagram at the Haunted Heart Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Facebook. If you just search the Haunted Heart, we will pop up. Uh, and join our Facebook group, The Haunted Heart Podcast. Um, we'll probably do a couple different giveaways, some on Patreon, some on Facebook, some on Instagram. So kind of keep your eyes peeled. Um, we'll have instructions on our social means. So just kind of keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's a really good book. We definitely recommend that you guys take a look uh, for it. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Barnes & Noble. Um, you can also find it on our fucking social media if you're lucky. Yes. If you a lucky bitch. Um, but yeah, we definitely recommend that you check it out. And I'm going to make Kenny read it now. <laughs> All right. So, and, <laughs> and on that note, because <laughs> we all know how great I am at uh, reading. reading. <laughs> no, no. Oh, my no. God. He I am a fantastic reader. I just can't sit down and read books. Hard. I'll watch the movie. Come out with a movie. I'll watch it. Wait, but they did, and I, and I just told you I didn't And you didn't it. fucking <laughs> watch, I didn't it. watch it. Also, it's okay. It's wrong. It's not Kara Robertson's work. <laughs> it's not her detailed fucking research. True. Uh, yeah, but no, we 100% recommend it. Keep your eyes peeled on our social media. We'd love to get you guys a copy so that you can take a look. Um, and yeah, that's been our reinvestigation of Miss Lizzie Borden. A revisit of the Borden. Who knows? Maybe trial. we'll fucking come back annually to this house. And just see if she's got anything else for us. <laughs> just come back annually to the zone. 60 episodes from now, we're like fucking seancing Lizzie Borden. Like, hey, girl, you got anything <laughs> else? Never- <laughs> yeah, no. Next next one we do is when we're actually visiting uh, the Borden house. Oh, my God. Amazing. Uh-huh. Next episode after that is <laughs> 60 episodes after that. We're seancing her. 60 episodes after that, we've actually... She's actually a regular guest star on the show. We've reanimated her corpse. We sold her some stock in the company. Like, it's it's a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, No, but uh, that would be really cool. If we have any friends in Fall River, let us fucking know. Yeah, or any friends into necromancy. No, maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not that one. But no, actually, uh, speaking of necromancy, I just remembered I have an appointment that I need to uh, go take care of. Okay. So we're going to have to wrap this up, but keep your eyes peeled on our social media. We're going to be doing the giveaways. Make sure that you're part of that. And until next time, 
You know what to do, folks. You gotta stay spooky and try really hard not to axe murder.